the failure to separate. If there was one point that stood out from the rest it would be on account of 2 Corinthians 6 verse 17 Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. A conditional proposition exists in this passage. We are to separate and not touch the unclean thing, then and perhaps only then will we be received by God. Regardless, the conditions, the point is Christians have not separated from the world and show little desire to separate. If we consider the fallen world Babylon, Revelation stresses the importance of separating from the fallen world. Revelation 18 verse 4 And I heard another voice from heaven, saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. Failure to divest The inability of Christians to understand what is meant by a passage or think a passage is hyperbolic or perhaps just not practical does not mean the church is faithful to the words of Christ. Jesus told us of the story of the rich young man who preferred to abandon his faith than rid himself of his wealth. But are we not in the same situation? The conditions of this story do not mean we, like Diogenes the Greek, must live in a barrel. Jesus also makes reference to foxes having dens and birds' nests, but the Son of Man having nowhere to lay his head. But Scripture also says God will provide. Poverty is not what is needed. But Christians ought not rely on the possession of assets to provide security. A simplistic interpretation would have Christians selling everything. Proceeds would have to be given to the unbeliever. This might be what is meant, but if so, it would conflict with teachings about taking care of our families and doing good work among the poor. The problem is not with the teaching but the structure of the church. Because we did not separate and build the church according to the specifications of God, it is impossible to apply other passages. But the teachings we find difficult to implement are still the Word of God. Christians worry about the future. It is for certain Christians have not ceased to worry about what tomorrow will bring, as evidence in purchase of insurance. Christians even sell insurance. This may be a good idea, considering the world we live in, but fear of our situation does not substantiate the claim Christians are obedient to the Word of God. What does this fear of the future and the preparations we make demonstrate other than that we have not put our faith in God? The point we are making with these investigations is that Christians claim they believe in God and that Scripture is inerrant, but they casually deny their words with their actions or inaction. What happened to the teaching that by their works we are known? Luke 12 verses 16 to 34 And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, this will I do, I will pull down my barns, and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then who shall those things be, which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, neither for the body, what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them, how much more are ye better than the fowls? 
and which of you with taking thought can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies how they grow, they toil not, they spin not, and yet I say unto you, that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothe the grass, which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have, and give alms, provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Perhaps within this passage we see at least a partial answer why we ought to divest ourselves of the earthly encumbrances that are supposed to give us security. Where our treasure is there our heart is. Treasure is assets and in the mind of man, something of inherent value. In reality no asset belongs to men because no man formed an asset, they are entirely the creation of God. What we claim and value does not belong to us. How then can accumulating what amounts to stolen treasure give us confidence in the future? The bane of money so called. 1 Timothy 6 verse 10 For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Interestingly, real money has no value because real money is not an asset and has no value. That with no value cannot be coveted and cannot represent treasure. The love of money is a love of a fictitious and deceitful sort of thing created to beguile man into thinking he was working to accumulate treasure, when in reality he was really doing is running a scam on his fellow man and stealing what belongs to God. Real money is nothing more than a unit of account. Many of us refer to bank and fiat money as a unit of account but at best the things we use for money are units of exchange or an asset quantified to facilitate trade. The love of money is intrinsic to its use, as all economic activity in this world is dependent on the availability of money. Everything we want and most of what we want to do requires access to capital. The desire for the good things in life become focused on the idea of accumulating more money. The need to work and make money becomes corrupted by the idea of making money work for us to make exponentially more money. The problem is that money is not just a medium of exchange. Because it is manufactured out of assets, it is a product, and it is a service or the main feature of a financial service. We can buy money, spend money, and we can lend money. This is because money is an asset subject to the conventional pressures of supply and demand. Gold is the preeminent form of a monetized asset. There are still people who wish the world would return to the gold standard. But gold is so valuable as a commodity its additional use as money only serves to give added encouragement to those who are able to hoard it. A small amount of inflation will not impact the economy unduly, but if gold begins to increase substantially in value, compared to other commodities, more and more of it will be taken out of circulation. Hoarding further exacerbates the liquidity problems of the economy as shortages of coinage puts upward pressure on its commodity value until the value of gold is way beyond the value of the coin's face value. At this point the market has no medium of exchange. 
The prospect of gold's value rising puts our attention on the price of gold more than on making goods and services. The idea of buying a small amount of gold and seeing it increase exponentially in value is addictive. But ultimately, the love of money is simply an indication of the centrality money has in the life of anyone who uses a monetized asset. The only way to escape this desire is to abandon the use of all asset-based currencies. Real money has no intrinsic value and therefore is equity not an asset. It is not difficult to identify fake money. If you are rich or feel rich by owning it, then it is an asset. Assets have intrinsic value. However, this intrinsic worth comes from God. Man adds value by a process called manufacturing, which adds value to the asset by modifying its nature. Money as a thing with value is the result of something akin to witchcraft. It's not the actual manufacturing process that turns an asset into money, it is the ritual of monetization that defines something as a currency. When we create value by means of manufacturing, we add work to an asset. One reason why the love of money is as corrosive of the work ethic is that it corrupts the basic law of wealth formation. When assets are used as money, it is possible to speculate on the value of various assets and grow rich by gambling on the relative weight of a currency compared to some other asset class. But in the natural course of things, we work on an asset and transform it into something with greater value to man. Value is created when flint is transformed, through work, into an arrowhead. Gold is not given more value when coined. The value of the coin is artificial and illusory. The gold seems more valuable as coins, but if the value of the coin is less than the value of the underlying commodity, the coin will be melted and sold as scrap, that is as bullion. This is why we know the coining of bullion does not add real value but only an artificial value. Gold turned into jewelry has more value than its gold content. A finely wrought ceramic piece of jewelry may be worth more than a counterpart made of gold, though the raw material price does not reflect the price of the finished product. If a rock is fashioned into an arrowhead, it increases in value. The rock is still there but in a more desirable form. If barter is used to turn an arrowhead into something of greater value, the owner translates the value of the arrowhead into and onto a different product or service. Not an easy thing to do. But the maker of the arrowhead can estimate relative values. The value of the arrowhead is conceptualized into some type of numerical unit as is the product or service to be purchased if an arrowhead is worth about 10 pounds of meat, then each pound of meat is worth one-tenth of an arrowhead. The tribe could use pieces of meat as currency or it could use arrowheads, but this would cause the same problems that comes with the use of gold or banknotes. All that is needed to affect an exchange is the unit of account. The person who makes the arrowhead turns it into units of account. The purchaser transfers the units of account to the seller's account. The seller of the arrowhead has 10 units of account instead of the arrowhead. He can now use these units of account to purchase meat or whatever else is available in the market. There is no hoarding of units of accounts, they only represent actual value added to actual assets. By the use of units of account in the conducting of transactions, the church would eliminate avarice, greed, and the love of money. Unemployment and the need for taxes would also be eliminated.